It is Monday, September 12th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Shelf. And Jared and I used to do these Monday recap pods after NFL Sundays. A few years ago, we shifted it to Tuesday, then we just dropped it all together because Mondays and Tuesdays are a lot of work in season. But we kept getting requests to bring them back. So Adam Krautwurst and I are going to be doing that every Monday throughout this season. Of course, the first week, Adam is called away for travel with his day job, but I fortunately was able to find a high-level guest to fill in for Adam this week. He is the director of fantasy and gambling for the 33rdteam.com. You can hear him Thursdays on SiriusXM Fantasy. You can find him at Tweets on Twitter and probably on TikTok as well at this point, right, still? Uh, he is Josh Larkey. Still, Josh, yeah. Back to the podcast. Matt, thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, you're bringing the energy on this Monday morning. I will try and reciprocate. It was a it was a long night uh, or long day watching football, long night processing it. But I, I think the people are going to enjoy this because what we what you said pre show is we're going to do usage. That, that's kind of what I, I like to think I specialize in. And I think any of us that are doing this full time, hopefully that's what we're focusing on. So what, what was surprising? What wasn't surprising? Things like that. I'm ready. Absolutely. I mean, we all know that Devin Duvernay scored two touchdowns, but what we need to look at is how many routes guys ran, uh, who was on the field most often. And that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to be going game by game, not spending a lot of time on any game, but really digging into the stuff that matters behind the numbers that actually drove our fantasy scores yesterday. So Saints at Falcons first and Jameis Winston stunk for a while, turned it on in the fourth quarter, and they wound up with some pretty good passing numbers. I think Josh, it was most encouraging for Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry, they both played a lot. Their numbers backed that up. Jarvis Landry had seven for 114, nine targets. Michael Thomas, eight targets, five for 57 and two touchdowns. We didn't know for sure how much he would be on the field, but he ended up being there plenty. I think the thing that's harder to see here is that Chris Olave, even though only he only had three targets in this game, he was on the field just as much as Landry and Michael Thomas against the Falcons. Yeah, this was an interesting one. I, I'll take my early... Jarvis Landry doesn't absolutely suck victory lap. So that was good to see. But I think there's actually some concerns here in terms of what uh, the sustainability is going to be for these, these saints players each week. Like Jameis had his 38 dropbacks, which was significantly more than last year. I'm not quite sure if that's what we should expect week to week in part because they were trailing for most of the game. So I actually think on the saints end, a little bit concerning what the, the Landry Thomas Olave pecking order is going to be week to week and how relevant these guys are. I think, this, this kind of felt like the, the ceiling game in many ways for how these guys can potentially coexist. And I wonder if it's similar in that way to last year's week one for the Saints where they had five touchdown passes, but it was on like 23 pass attempts. So there's definitely a chance that we got so much in final numbers from this offense that it's, it's lying about what we can actually expect to get week to week. Yeah, 100%. I think the, the one to look for is how Olave's like targets per route run improves as each game goes by since he is the ascending player, Thomas and Landry are either stagnating or declining. So I think him running the same amount of routes is the the key thing here. Why? Cause I know that some people, the, they hear an analyst tell them all off season draft a rookie receiver. It's upside. So then they draft it and they look at Olave and let me see his Stalin was what three for 41, not very special, but the routes were there. And I, I think this is this is still a premier bench stash for right now. 
the route seemed a little bit lacking to me for Alvin Kamara. I saw 62.3% snap rate overall, just 47.5% route rate, though. 19 to 11 in routes versus the other running backs on the team. You know, I wonder if that was altered by just the trailing nature. So there's a little bit less throwing to the short guy and trying to get more receivers on the field. So, you know, I'm not like, oh, no, Alvin Kamara. But I am like, well, if this continues, it would be, oh, no, Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm looking, we all have slightly different route numbers out there. The ones I'm looking at, Cordell Patterson ran more routes in this game than Alvin Kamara. That to me is quite concerning, considering the game script would have suggested the opposite. So I think with Kamara, uh, the the good, he didn't run the ball that much. I did not like his usage last year for fantasy. That's how running backs like him get injured is when they get run up the middle 15, 20 times a game. But we we need the receiving work, so... Hopefully next week we have the routes take up, but him being so close, I haven't met. So I'm, I'm looking my end. I've got Kamara at 17 routes, Mark Ingram at 10. That's just terrible. Mm-hmm. You, you really need him running three, four times as many routes as Ingram for him to be uh, paying off that, that depending on when you took him in draft cycle, what late round one, mid round two, depending on like where in the suspension dialogue we were at. <laughs> Maybe round three. Yeah, round three, if you were really deep in the suspension dialogue. I, I would be, it would be nice for all of us if we could see a lot less Taysom Hill. I mean, he, it showed yesterday because he had the long run. He had the touchdown run. I think it's probably not going to wind up being as big a concern as it seems like yesterday because they had such low rushing volume overall. But I mean, he's going to be a pain in all of our butts. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning. I mean, Jameis has even shown a propensity to run near the goal line. So we're going to have potentially two threats cannibalizing Kamara. And if Mark Ingram in his early 30s is still getting similar enough usage in the passing game, I I, I would say I'm most concerned about Kamara. But I think in general, uh, this, this whole offense, I'm a little bit worried about. There's just a lot of really good players. And I don't think it's going to be a very good offense week to week because it's a it should be a pretty strong defensive unit. And I, I think they'll probably learn from whatever the heck happened with Marcus Mariota just running all over them. (laughs) And speaking of that Falcons offense, you alluded to Cordero Patterson already dominated that backfield, 22 carries, 122 yards. Of course, Damian Williams going down with a rib injury. Didn't hurt the usage there. Tyler Algier, the rookie was a healthy scratch. Patterson ended up with, at least by the numbers I was looking at one more route than Avery Williams in the backfield. I wonder whether that's going to differ when they aren't ahead for so much of the game. I would guess that the Falcons would like Cordero Patterson's usage to go differently than it did in week one, though, because if he's carrying anywhere near that amount on a regular basis, he's not going to last physically. Yeah, I agree. I think my biggest concern with Cordero Patterson was that this would be his role. And you might say, like, Josh, what are you talking about? The guy's a bell cow. I took him in the eighth round. The, the thing is, he's two and a half, three years older than every other starting running back in the NFL then the why you drafted him is not because he's going to be a running back. It's because he's going to be in kind of that hybrid role. And I, hopefully he can kind of get back to that more. I mean, the, the, the receiving usage was fine. He was, he was getting his targets. He had, I've a 17% target share, which is very, very strong. Like that's like borderline, like the Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara levels of years past, but you do not want your 31 year old running back getting, getting more than about 10 carries a game at this point. Yeah, so we'll see about Williams's rib. We'll see if Algier is act- 
active if Damian Williams is not playing next week. But so don't expect 22 more carries for Patterson. I guess the upside is that where you drafted him, you'll really take whatever his usage is, because even if you end up losing your eighth round pick, you know, in week six, because he got worked too hard, then we still got some pretty good usage out of him to get to that point. Drake London, I thought it was interesting. Join Kyle Pitts right away as clear leaders among receivers. And it's not shocking. It's more noteworthy because Drake London hit week one iffy with that knee. They didn't make the decision until Saturday, but once they made that decision, it was like, all right, we got Drake London. He's ready to go. We're going to throw him the ball plenty. Yeah, this was a very good first game for him. So just like with Olave, the routes were there for Drake London. Unlike Olave, though, the targets were there as well. He and Pitts both with 23% target share, seven targets on the day. And I think that's just really strong usage and kind of supports that potentially there. It's really just the two of them that are going to get close to that 50% target share. Since that's really what you need in these below average offenses is for two guys to be fantasy relevant in the passing game, they have to take half the pie. And at least for week one, we saw that, which I think is just kind of good news for both. Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't panic on pits at all. (laughs) The the guy had seven targets. Everyone can relax, take a deep breath. It was week one. If you drafted Kyle Pitts, you just have to get used to, yeah, but the usage was there. You're going to get weeks like this because Marcus Mariota is his quarterback. You had to know that this was part of it coming in. So just get used to, yeah, but the usage is there. Yeah, he had a 25% target per out run rate as well. Like that was, that's elite of the elite. I, I think he'll be okay. I think he'll be okay as well, as long as he can score more than one touchdown this time around. Game two, Cleveland Browns at the Carolina Panthers. I'm not even sure there's going to be a ton to talk about here because the usage was kind of straightforward. So it started out with Jacoby Brissett stinking, Baker Mayfield stunk. Uh, I think that there is some room for Baker Mayfield to turn it around more than Jacoby Brissett, just because we do have some history of Baker Mayfield being a competent NFL quarterback. We've got kind of, you know, half of each. So I'm not saying he's a definite to turn it around, but there's at least a chance that we get better, better Baker Mayfield could come as quickly as week two at the giants. And then if you look at his pass catchers, we had DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, the clear top two shy Smith, the clear number three behind them. And then basically nobody else existed. Yeah, I think this, this was a pretty straightforward one. I mean, Robbie Anderson's usage was a little bit better than at least I expected. But uh, if you look beneath the numbers, he and DJ Moore ran the same amount of routes. Uh, their air yards were actually pretty similar, slight edge to Robbie Anderson. So I wouldn't really, con- I wouldn't worry too much about DJ Moore at all. It feels more like this is kind of, these are the top two targets. There's, there's no real tight end of note mm-hmm. uh, in terms of um, Carolina. Like I know Ian Thomas had a lot of yards, but he wasn't running a, a lot of routes. He had three targets. It's pretty much just the two of them is what it seems like. And then I think with Christian McCaffrey, uh, he's fine. 80% snaps. It was just a little bit of a strange game. He mm-hmm. still found the end zone. And I think you can know that this is probably the lowest actual touch count that he'll probably get this year. Since it was pretty clear they did not want to lean on, on Chuba or Deonta Foreman. Those guys, mm-hmm. yes, yes, McCaffrey did very little. Those guys combined for three carries. It's not like they were soaking up a ton of work. They had, I don't even think either was targeted. Mm-hmm. So... McCaffrey kind of looks like the the clear 100% of the pass down work and 70 plus percent of the rush work kind of guy. And Cleveland should be a solid to good defense. So it's not like it was a cake matchup where the Panthers messed up. So my takeaway from the offense would primarily be, okay, Robbie Anderson 
got the upside of what I was hoping was possible for him. He just might be usable in our lineups this year. DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey should be fine unless Baker Mayfield is just terrible at this point. Yeah, Baker didn't have a great game, but like he still had, so I was looking like he had over eight yards per attempt. That's that's pretty good. It was, I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. Jacoby Brissett's the one where I think all of our fears about this Cleveland pass offense were realized. That that seems like the, the bigger concern to me is that Jacoby Brissett is who we exactly who we thought he was. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's why we were drafting these guys where we were. Amari Cooper was at the bottom of wide receiver three territory, even below. So, you know, if this is going exactly how you feared, you shouldn't be having your season wrecked by Amari Cooper not delivering. Uh, obviously, it's week one, so we'll see. It was Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones working as the clear top two here with Anthony, Anthony Schwartz, David Bell, playing about a third as much as those top two guys. Peoples-Jones was a guy who got the targets, but again, usage was basically even for both of those. You know, It'd be nice to not have to use them outside of best ball uh, because of the Jacoby Brissett factor, but if you headed into the season, like I like the upside on DPJ, then it was a good week for him. Yeah. He had a strong week. And then I think on the the tight end side, uh, I don't think we can quite panic on a yet, but him running, I have him as t- running 26 routes and getting one target that that is actually atrocious to be on the field, actually participating in plays that often and doing nothing. So I know Harrison Bryant out, out produced him in the box score. David Njoku was still pretty clearly the top tight end when you look at uh, the routes run. And I think we, we've got another week or two to sort of figure out if this year is different for Njoku. But mm-hmm. at least early on, kind of concerning in terms of how he just couldn't command any targets, but a positive that at least he was out on the field a very, very large amount of the time. Like he was out on the field for like almost like 70, I think 70, 75% of the time. For those routes, that, that, that's pretty much what you want to see out of a borderline startable tight end. Yeah, nearly doubled Harrison Bryant in both snaps and routes. And like I said, it, it's a team where there's the two top receivers and then basically nobody else is a significant factor at wide out. So that presents more opportunity. Obviously, a lot of leaning on the backfield here. We knew that with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. There is opportunity, but we drafted David Njoku down in a, a range of drafts where you're like, well, let's see what happens. So let's see what happens. San Francisco at Chicago is the third game in our rundown. And Josh, I mean, the highlights from this one looked to me like one of those old Major League Baseball rain delays where they can tell the game's not going to start back up. So a few of the guys decide to have fun and just go sliding around on the tarp. The field was an absolute mess. So the stat lines are a mess from this game. I don't want to totally throw them out, but I think we got to we got we got to know that this game is not definitively showing us what we should expect basically from any aspect of the San Francisco or Chicago offenses going forward. Yeah, I think the problem with this is that we have two really young quarterbacks. They're both pretty mobile. We both know that these are going to be fairly run heavy teams overall, partly because of the quarterback situation. And also we had the elements. So I think all combined, it was this perfect storm. There were 21 total completions in this game which is actually like, that's pretty hilarious. Uh, I assume last year, aside from that one weird Buffalo New England game, it would not shock me if there was, if every other game had more than 21 completions from last season. So I, I haven't looked that up. That is my gut feel, but yeah, eight completions for fields, 13 for Lance. The, this was a, this was a really sloppy game. 
Yeah, and I'm checking the completions. Even that win bowl game between the Pats and Bills had 17 completions. Two from so the Patriots, nearly the same from Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just a game where there's probably not a whole lot to take away. I, Trey Lance gets a mulligan for me, but he's also probably not inside my top 12 for week two. The matchup could be really good. They get Seattle at home. We'll see the Seattle defense tonight, but I'm not expecting it to be good. I'm expecting it to, if anything, be a positive matchup. So, you know, there's a chance Trey Lance is there right around QB 12, but he's just a, a guy that I wouldn't feel great about trusting in a fantasy lineup unless I had to right now. I, I'm a little bit different. I think I would start Trey Lance pretty confidently next week because he did have the 13 rush attempts for 54 yards. And that's kind of what we want in the fantasy points department. I think it's going to be a much better game. He also didn't have Kittle. So it's like his first, uh, it's his first start of his first year as a starter. There's no Kittle there. It's the elements. And I, I think next week should be a much better game, especially if Kittle plays. So I, I, I wouldn't say that I would be super confidently starting him, but I would be starting him just because of the upside of, hey, he, the, the guy ran 13 times. He should have three pretty elite weapons surrounding him and the, the actual conditions of the game will be significantly better. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more just the concern with these pass catchers mm-hmm. on, on the 49ers. I, I don't really want to start any of them in fantasy, honestly, <laughs> like the, like what we saw from Debo. I mean, yeah, it was great that he was getting heavily targeted, but the targets weren't accurate and he got a ton of rush attempts, which like we want per game in fantasy, but over the course of the season, like, get eight carries. You do not want him to get eight carries a game. That, that's how this type of player will get injured. So I was honestly pretty terrified of the, how IUK was never targeted. Mm-hmm. I think of what one target two two targets on 35 routes. That's mm-hmm. terrible. And then how Debo, yeah, he was being peppered, but they were inaccurate and he was getting a ton of carries. Now with Elijah Mitchell out, it's like, well, is this what his role is going to be going forward until four or six weeks from now when Mitchell returns? So this is really just like not an offense I'm interested in outside of Lance. Yeah. I mean, if you drafted Debo Samuel, I was not drafting Debo Samuel anyway, but if you did draft him, you're probably looking at this game. Like, yeah, I knew it. I knew he could still be the same Debo from last year. Did have eight targets, did have eight carries, but like you said, Josh, that's going to set him up for injury. If he keeps doing this stuff, you know, we did lose Elijah Mitchell early in this game. They already had Tyreon Davis-Price, a healthy scratch. Jordan Mason was active but did not play. So the plan's probably a little bit different going forward if Mitchell is out. And it seems like the way that they ruled him out for week one pretty quickly after he left the game, it seems like he'll probably be out for a little bit more time. I would think that Davis-Price is active for the next game. Jeff Wilson Jr. is the lead running back. But, I mean, it probably bumps up the Debo rushing usage going forward, I would guess. Yeah, what I what I read was Mitchell's out four to six weeks, mm-hmm. and that it was some kind of like MCL or PCL thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, they'll probably be careful with him too. He has a pretty major history of knee injuries as well. He was banged up a lot last year, and like we were talking about, they're deep. the 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 49ers always seem to have four or five competent enough running backs. <laughs> and so, and yet Trey Sermon was not a competent running back according to them. So he's gone. Not yeah. <laughs> It's just a, um, it's a tough, uh, tough week one for third round running backs with Sermon last year and now TDP this year. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe it's the Jeff Wilson show. I think he like I think Wilson's an interesting waiver pickup. I just personally wouldn't spend too much fab on him mm-hmm. because even though like yes he had a lot of routes, this guy has a crazy history of knee injuries as it seems like every Niners running back does. 
And it was pretty clear that Mitchell was the guy pre-injury. So you're only getting up to a few weeks of who knows what's going to happen. But like Trey Lance is taking a lot of these carries. So it feels like it, it might not even be like a high volume role mm-hmm. next week even. Yeah, Wilson looked like the stash for me heading into the season, Um, you know, given that he stayed with the team, has been with them now for a few years through an injury or two. uh, They let Raheem Mostert walk. They sent Trey Sermon away. So Wilson has been the stash. I agree that he's a pickup this week. He's probably going to lead the team in carries next week, you know, besides Trey Lance potentially. But I agree on not overspending because I think that it's going to be a committee. And Wilson's shown that he's not generally just that high ceiling guy. But we are heading into that positive matchup with Seattle. So it should be a decent place for teams that might already be looking for some running back help, especially if you had like a zero RB approach to your draft. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is a good guy to have around. Mentioned the worry about Ayuk. Jawan Jennings led the team in targets, but ran fewer routes than those other guys. So I wouldn't go betting on Jawan Jennings yet. And we'll see whether George Kittle's back for week two. Yeah, nothing else to add on San Francisco. I think on the the bear side, the target tree was pretty disgusting as well. (laughs) I kind of had Mooney as a sit just because of the weather Mm -hmm. and because of this offense. And it's not like I was fading him in redraft but this was concerning because the the like the the routes might just be really low a lot of these weeks it it might be a really run heavy attack like we saw not just montgomery but khalil herbert getting pretty involved so if you have this three-headed rushing attack with montgomery herbert and fields and a bad passing offense then mooney and commit are they could really struggle week to week like Mm -hmm. i was i was a big commit guy started him in the Scott Fishbowl, did not want to see him running 16 routes with one target. So uh, I think he's someone that we should be pretty concerned about just because I, I kind of was like, oh, this guy's walking at a 20-something percent of the targets. He looked pretty decent last year. And it's like, well, you know what? If you're not the number one option in what could end up being the worst passing offense in the NFL, you just might not be startable in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that was the concern. They both got some buzz. They didn't go too high at their relative positions, so it wouldn't be a killer if you lose them. But I I will say, too, on on the other hand, that Mooney and Komet did at least both lead their positions in playing time uh, in routes. So, you know, part of you wants to still say it's just week one. It's concerning. But I, I think it stops a little short of alarming because of the situation that we had with the torrential rains with just 17 pass attempts for Chicago. I mean, we could turn around this coming week and get, you know, eight Mooney targets and seven for Komet and be like, OK, mm-hmm. we were worried about nothing. Yeah, it's it's on my radar. Like, I, I'll i probably still start Komet in the fishbowl again next week. I have no other <laughs> tight end. <laughs> so I'll just kind of go back to the well there. Maybe I'll try and pick up OJ Howard or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) There's one. I thought OJ Howard, like Sony Michelle, when he got cut, I was like, oh, well, there goes those late best ball shares that I got. And it turns out they must have, they might've been actually attached to a defibrillator instead of actually, instead of kill. Yeah. It was funny because with OJ Howard, but the thesis behind him was you just want access to a, an elite offense because of the touchdown upside. So sure enough, two touchdowns week one, the, (laughs) the thesis of the play paid off. (laughs) right pittsburgh steelers at cincinnati Bengals are next up and deontay johnson grabbed a 31.6 percent target share despite entering the weekend with some questions about a shoulder injury that target share is is excellent because last year he was a big target share guy it also though kind of overshadows that he was very close with chase claypool and george pickens 
in the number of routes run. So I would assume that Deontay Johnson remains the target leader here. I would say that if you have Claypool or Pickens on your bench, don't panic right now thinking, oh, great, it's Deontay Johnson and nobody else in this pass offense. Yeah, I would say right now, like you're stashing the other guys, you're starting Deontay. That's about it. But I think this whole offense could be pretty frustrating. It's like Deontay Johnson still didn't really pay off in fantasy. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky dropped back 40 times. You're probably not going to get that on a lot of weeks. Like this was part of this, like this was an overtime game. I actually watched pretty much the entirety of this one just as someone who was very invested in the, the Bengals for fantasy football. Mm-hmm. So a little bit disappointing at times, but <laughs> in terms of the, the Steelers, I think it'll be interesting to see like on a, uh, during quote unquote, like a normal week, what this mm-hmm. run pass rate looks like. I think maybe the positive for these pass catchers is that Najee Harris should be out for several weeks. And that maybe then the the pass game overall usage stays at what it was last week or yesterday, I guess. So I think that's something interesting to monitor is like, even with the crazy pass attempts, we still weren't getting like any kind of monstrous fantasy days. And TJ Watt could be out for the season. We're waiting for confirmation on his injury, whether it's a full pec tear, but that would significantly impact the defense. And, you know, in that case, if they do lose Watt, it could be a much different team overall. And we might just be getting a lot more pass attempts every week from Pittsburgh trying to, you know, stay with the opponent or catch up to the opponent rather than having that help of the defense. Yeah. I think that'll be kind of the the thing to monitor is what that ultimately looks like. I think what's his name? Jalen Warren and yep. waiver pickup, just because what do the Steelers do? They just give one running back the ball over and over and over again. I believe he had a hundred percent of the carries once Harris went out. Uh, ran. Yeah, I don't think Benny still played. Routes. No, I, I'm looking. I don't see any stats for any running back after Jalen Warren. So I think he's probably my priority waiver ad at the running back position, just because you should be getting uh, like 80, 90% opportunity share from him this next week. So I think he's an interesting one to, to monitor who should be available on pretty much every waiver wire. Mm-hmm. And I would absolutely take Jalen Warren over Jeff Wilson Jr. Because we are probably getting Jalen Warren controlling this backfield for as long as Najee Harris is out. And even if it ends up not being a huge deal, I mean, that's a list Frank injury and an ankle injury before we've gotten a full game into the season. So you're going to want to have the insurance policy behind Najee Harris at best. I mean, at worst. Yeah, I agree there. And then I think one thing that was interesting when I turned to the Bengals side, Joe Burrow. 65 dropbacks. It is exactly what we've been rooting for all of last year. It's like, oh, just please just give this guy dropbacks. Didn't quite have a like a crazy fantasy day because of all the interceptions. But as someone that watched the game, I thought he looked fine. I think the, the bigger concern might have just been the what was supposed to be a, a significantly improved Bengals offensive line that didn't look very improved. But I actually thought Joe Burrow as a quarterback looked totally fine so mm-hmm. i when he, when, like, when he wasn't getting hit constantly he actually was making some really good throws uh how has what he got sacked seven times yeah so i think that's more the concern is like let's look at the o-line but i think he himself actually had a good day all things considered mm-hmm. yeah i agree i mean seven sacks four ints and he still gave us a top five fantasy week in most formats so we'll go ahead and take that Um, and most weeks he's not going to be facing the Pittsburgh pass rush. So even if the O-line is still a significant issue, it, 
should be less of a concern most of the time than against Pittsburgh. And, you know, he did that, the coming back, despite not having T Higgins who went down with the concussion. So I would say it's overall a positive Jamar chase over 30% target share, which obviously you'll love to see if you drafted him in round one T Higgins missing probably helped that, but you know, we're talking about 25 plus percent for chase this season. Most likely if Higgins misses further time, which you generally miss at least one more game with these things, Tyler Boyd, would certainly benefit in the two games that Higgins missed early last year. Tyler Boyd led the team in targets each time. Not saying that that's what happens when T Higgins goes down, but obviously Tyler Boyd goes from probably not using him because he's Jarvis Landry, but in like a reserve role to (laughs) probably using him because he's in this team, this offense that's throwing the ball more now. Yeah. Boyd will probably crack my top 30 receivers. I'll do my rankings tomorrow morning. I think he's got a strong chance to be in the top 30 just because the volume is so projectable. And while I don't think we either, either of us thinks Boyd is a mega talent, he is one of those receivers that's actually good enough to take on more work. I think that's kind of the issue with some of the later round receivers is you draft them and it's like, well, I don't quite know when to start them. Boyd felt like one of the exceptions to me where he's kind of like this handcuff receiver where like maybe you can get away flexing him at times. And then mm-hmm. you knew that if there was an injury to a Chase or a Higgins, Suddenly you have someone that you're starting every single week. So it looks like that's what we have probably next week with Boyd. So I think the other interesting one was actually like Hayden Hurst was super involved. And I think he's kind of an interesting pivot for uh, some of the late round tight end drafters like myself, where I was like, Oh, David and Joku Cole commit Hayden Hurst might be the guy that we actually want. I think it was interesting that he ended up with eight targets himself. And I, I watched the game. He had one of his catches was absolutely phenomenal. Acrobatic toe tapper on the sideline. Did not expect to see a tight end move like that. So I thought it was a very, very promising debut for him. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, he was a first round pick. So there's some talent there. He hasn't lived up to it with either team so far, but you can just kind of fall into production with these Bengals. 15% target share. So like the overall pass attempts are driving up everybody's numbers, but 15% is a good number for where we took Hayden Hurst and certainly could make him like a top 15 guy going forward. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Mixon was also interesting because he got 17% target share in that first one. And like the only complaint with him last year, and you know, if you had him through the year, you weren't complaining about him fantasy wise, but We always wanted more passing game usage. He got that late last year through the final few weeks of the regular season and then through the playoffs. And this target share is right in line with what he was getting there. So if that continues and this Bengals team stays a bit more pass heavy, like we all think that it should at this point, I mean, Mixon has the upside to even be the top running back scorer for the season. Yeah. I thought the, the amount of routes he ran, the the targets he had were both really, really promising. Like Samaj P. Ryan was a little bit annoying at times. He still had five targets on himself. He still ran. Uh, so I have it like mix in 38 routes, P. Ryan 21. So there's definitely a disparity there, but it's still, uh, we'll, we'll have to see week to week what that ends up being like. I don't think Mixon's going to get the workload he had yesterday every single game. This felt kind of like, uh, like they were riding him trying to squeak out the divisional win. But uh, the, yes, great usage. I, I don't think we're getting 27 carries and nine targets. Let's hope ever. not. That, that, yeah, that's like like Christian McCaffrey plus almost. <laughs> that's like Derrick yeah, Henry that. plus Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, it's yeah. like combining like the best of both of them. So I, it was a good it was a good week for Mixon. It's very promising with the usage. 
But I, I think what we kind of hope for is that he's more efficient on fewer touches going forward. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia Eagles at Detroit Lions and AJ Brown just looked like Kong in this game. 40% target share against the Lions. It's great news if you drafted AJ Brown because you were hoping that he's just going to dominate this passing game. And then the overall volume doesn't matter a ton. Uh, it's obviously terrible news for Devontae Smith. So I think that we're not using Devontae Smith until something changes. AJ Brown, if you drafted him, you already knew that you were starting him every week. And then you just kind of take what happens. I don't think he stays anywhere near 40%, but the way that yesterday looked, it wouldn't be shocking if he finishes this year at 30% targets in this Eagles offense. Yeah, I think what what we want to look for here is kind of what next week looks like. Very, very promising for A.J. Brown. Obviously, very concerning for Devonta Smith. However, Jalen Hurts looked okay. This was not a good defense that the, the Lions have. And I wonder if what we'll kind of see is, depending on where the Eagles think the mismatch is, if that's kind of who gets focused in on each week. Maybe that's just me saying this because I drafted a good amount of Devonta Smith as well as AJ Brown. But I, I, I think that could potentially be the case is that if they are going to pass a bit more still with Hertz limitations as a passer, that they're often just like, oh, this, this is the mismatch we're going to exploit. It's a Goddard week. It's a Brown week. It's a Smith week. But I, I do think that at the very least, this is very good for AJ Brown where uh, we, we always knew like if he, when it, if he gets, if he gets the targets, uh, volume wise, like he's, he's going to produce because of his efficiency. So he's at least right now, probably excited to be out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. The backfield went pretty well for miles Sanders. I mean, we don't love that everybody got a chance to score a rushing touchdown, but the fact that they got rushing touchdowns from four different guys is kind of why you don't want to just forget about the Philly ground game because it's going to produce, they're going to have opportunities. Miles Sanders got 59% of the running back carries here though. He ran five more pass routes than Kenneth Gainwell, despite seeing fewer targets than Gainwell and was in the mix near the goal line. We know that he's not going to control that area of the field and the Jalen hurts is going to factor in as well. So I would say overall it was a positive outing, you know, not just performance wise for Sanders, but usage wise. Yeah. I thought this was a good outing. He's someone that I I was terrified of in fantasy just because I didn't know when you'd start him. I'm still not quite sure when we're starting him. This, I would have liked to see a little bit more usage. I mean, at the end of the day, 13 carries two targets. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, he might end up being someone that is fantasy relevant, but I would still be hesitant to start him. If we're going to have some type of four way committee at times with Hertz Sanders Gainwell and Boston Scott but at the very least like the it's clear that this is a hyper efficient run game which I I think we thought was going to be the case just like last year and it's kind of nice to see it happen again so yeah Sanders probably flex viable at this point but still someone that I'm not confidently able to start just because you like you you kind of need him to have that insane efficiency each week Mm -hmm. because like 13 carries and two targets is not all that much to write home about like just in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say that it wasn't the kind of day that makes you start him over the dude you drafted in round three. But if you put together this roster that kind of gathered running backs from round six to round 10, then Miles Sanders is definitely in the mix to start week to week in that group. On the Lions side, I think it was encouraging for Amon Ross St. Brown because, you know, obviously The question on him was what happens to his targets when TJ Hawkinson's healthy, when DeAndre Swift's healthy, when everybody is around, you know, some new guys in the mix here, 32% target share for Amon Ross St. Brown 
in the season opener this year, led the team there. The roles were still fine for DJ Chark and TJ Hawkinson. There was less for the running backs, but just in general, like even though Jared Goff is still Jared Goff, if you drafted Amon Ross St. Brown, you should be happy with what he got in this game. Yeah, he still looks like he's going to be a pretty high volume player. The Lions were kind of as advertised. They're still not that good of a team. I know some people out there were like, oh, this is a sneaky playoff team. I never really went that far, but I was like, you know what? They, they should be improved enough that we can get multiple fantasy relevant guys each week. Like this past week, it was Swift, Amon Ra, clearly. Even DJ Shark like kind of pitched in there. I think with Amon Ra, what was nice is that even though he and Shark ran the same amount of routes, he out-targeted Shark by 50%. And I think that's going to be kind of the trend is that what we saw last year out of Amon Ra is like, yeah, fourth round rookie. But like what he did down the stretch was so unbelievable in terms of a target share perspective. And I, I think he's looking like a potential steal for the people that are getting him like fifth, sixth round in drafts, where if you're going to have a guy that's giving you like weekly 25 plus percent of the targets, there's just a high floor and a high ceiling there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then in the backfield, like we saw Jamal Williams score two touchdowns. So if you're a DeAndre Swift owner, you're like, I love the yardage you got. I'm glad he got in the end zone. But why did he have to give those touchdowns to Jamal Williams? I think you got to reshift that focus, realize that Swift beat Williams 47-23 in total snaps, beat him 26-11 to in route. So even though the targets and the carries didn't show that much separation, this is probably a bit more separation between Swift and Williams than I would have projected heading into the game. So I think overall, and especially when you consider just how good the Detroit running game looked in this game behind what we already knew was a strong O-line, it was a, a very nice opener for DeAndre Swift. Yeah, overall really strong. I think what we'll want to look at is kind of that that red zone work. So what I have is I had two red zone rushes for Swift. I had, I'm looking, six for Jamal Williams. Zero goal line carries for Swift. All three went to Jamal Williams. And Jamal Williams had the one red zone target among the running backs. So I think we could look at this two ways. One way is like Swift, awesome usage in terms of he's always on the field compared to what we thought might have happened. Or you could say, oh, that's kind of concerning. Is, are his touchdowns going to get capped? And then I think the third is this guy could go absolutely nuclear if this was just a random fluke. I think we all know Swift's a better running back overall. And if he then starts getting more of the red zone touches in most other games, that this is like he he's one of those guys that has RB1 in his range of outcomes just because of the efficiency that he can have, how explosive he is with the ball in his hands. And if he's getting the targets, if he's getting the carries, if he's getting the red zone work that with this really good offensive line, then that's very exciting. And I will say, I haven't gone post, back post game to study exactly how it happened, but in watching the game, it didn't feel like, you know, now they're down near the goal line. Let's take Swift out and put Williams in. I know in one particular case, the, the first Jamal Williams touchdown followed um, Swift having like the 65 yard run. So uh, yeah, I saw that. I didn't, I didn't watch this game, but I saw I watched a few uh, clips here and there as I was flipping channels mm -hmm. and I saw that and I was like, wow, what a run. And, and then just like the token fantasy moment where you're like, all right, great job. Pat on the back. You can ride the bench while your backup vultures this <laughs> touchdown. <laughs> I feel like in those you should, the team should just get an official timeout so that they don't have to pull the winded running back off the field and take away those mm -hmm. points that we all want to get from them. Let's try to, let's try to start a petition for that. I like that. Anything else from this game before we move to the next one? Uh, no, I, I think we, we pretty much covered it. I think Jalen Hurts, like a elite QB1 still. This oh, is yeah. like this is exactly what you want. 
there's that yeah, there's I mean, something the in the passing game six. and then yeah like you just want something in the passing game <laughs> yeah like it it's just incredible like if you, the guy had 17 rush attempts <laughs> and this was a game where like they were leading the whole time and he still got you this many rush attempts like phenomenal and just in watching him too, it was like they would get stuck in like a third and 15 and he drops back and he can't find anything. And it's like, oh, I got it. I'm just going to glide this way for 17 yards. So it, it's it's exactly what you want. It's he did, like you said before, he wasn't great. He threw for 243 yards. He threw zero touchdown passes. And yet he's still a top six fantasy quarterback because he ran for 90 and a touchdown. So, yeah, just just what you want for Jalen Hurts, because there will be better games than this, even if the Detroit defense is not very good. And even if Jalen Hurts remains not the greatest passer in the world Colts at Texans in a game that was a lot closer than Vegas wanted it to be Michael Pittman's 13 targets nearly doubled his nearest teammate. And it was really spread around behind him. Seven for Jonathan Taylor, seven for Kylan Granson, six for Naheem Hines, six for Ashton Doolin. I mean, to me, just who those numbers went to says it's Michael Pittman and nobody else until something changes among Colts pass catchers and plenty of targets should remain for these Colts running backs. I, I think probably the most noteworthy was Kylan Granson actually matching Mo Ali Cox in playing time and running nine more pass routes than Mo Ali Cox. Yeah, that was that was kind of an interesting development. I thought they, they kind of made it seem like it was Mo Ali Cox as the clear starter in the pass game and that it was it was basically flipped where Granson had more routes. He out targeted him seven to two. So I I'm still not going to start Granson next week. But it's, I think it's something to at least focus in on just because, like you said, after Pittman, there was just nobody. Like, Paris Campbell was, looks fine. Alec Pierce, fine. These, these are all guys where they, they can be complementary pieces of an offense, but in no way should be in high-volume roles. So at this point, it's really just like Pittman, JT, and then kind of everyone else. And with Mo Ali Cox, it's it, maybe this was just the offseason where blocking tight ends get paid. We had him, we had Will Disley in Seattle, we had Ian Thomas in Carolina. So they paid him some money, but maybe it was just to come back and block for him. Like I said, Michael Pittman well ahead, playing time and routes. So you love what he got week one if you drafted him where you had to this year. Jonathan Taylor still tripled Naheem Hines in snaps, took 31 of 34 running back rushes, even edged Naheem Hines by one target. We did get... Uh, the Matt Ryan boost for Hines. He caught all six of those targets for 50 yards. So, you know, as long as they trail the Texans or whoever else they're playing, it should be a good year for Naheem Hines, I guess. Yeah, I think it was interesting with the Hines because I think we we could kind of look at it two ways. We could look at it one way of like, oh, that's great. Matt Ryan's pretty immobile. He's going to always check the ball down to Hines. However, if we remember last year, when the season started, Hines was out targeting JT. He was running way more routes. And then remember, it, it kind of shifted, and all of a sudden, like you couldn't really start Hines in fantasy, and JT was pretty much the full-on bell cow. Mm-hmm. We sort of saw that from a usage perspective in this game, where JT has 31 carries, Hines has three. JT ran 34 routes, Hines ran 22. So I, I think we could look at it two ways. For one, it's like maybe, yeah, Hines really should be hyper-efficient when on the field. But the other way to look at it is, well, he was not touching the ball on the ground and even through the air, he was getting significantly fewer opportunities than Taylor. So he's someone that I'm definitely monitoring. We'll we'll kind of see what next week's like, but I thought this was just incredible for Jonathan Taylor and neutral, if not a touch below neutral for Hines in terms of usage. 
Yeah. I mean, we certainly don't want to bet on super efficiency for any player because it's just not something that guys can be counted on week to week. So, you know, clearly it's good to have Matt Ryan instead of Carson Wentz for your running back um, receptions, but uh, not a great role usage wise for using in fantasy lineups. On the other side, Damian Pierce, I guess, see, we all assumed that Love Smith meant we've seen what we needed to see. I, we all assumed that he meant we like what we see from Pierce and we're going to use him a lot. So we're not going to use him up in the preseason. I, I don't know what he actually meant because Rex, Rex Burkhead was on the field twice as much, dominated Pearson routes, led him in carries, eight targets for the team, was the only Texan besides Brandon Cooks to get above three targets. So, I mean, Damian Pierce is securely on the bench until something changes. Yeah, Damian Pierce was someone I was never drafting because – I, I just always worry about these running backs that come out of college and get bad draft capital and have never actually had high volume usage. Pierce never had more than 60 yards per game in any college season. He did that as a senior. And I, I think what we kind of saw might be his role where they don't quite view him as a true workhorse. And I think that's what you kind of need to actually be an every week start on a, an offense like the Texans where we know the running efficiency is going to be really bad we know they're probably not going to score that many points each week. So I, I don't think I'm starting Burkhead. I don't think I'm starting Pierce. It's just one where like, you're not dropping Pierce, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll, we'll need his usage to take up significantly more in, in week two, or else I think he is a borderline droppable player where it's like, Oh, what am I handcuffing the, one of the worst offenses for running backs in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. At some point, if things don't change quickly, you're going to have to cover up his name and say, all right, I've got Rex Burkhead's handcuff on my bench. I think I need to draft yeah. for whatever I need in week four or three. Um, is there anything worth going over in that passing game? I know OJ Howard surprised everybody for two touchdowns, but do you think there's something to take away here as far as usability going forward? I, I think it's Cooks. And then the other guy you could consider flexing in a pinch is Nico Collins. He was the only guy that was even remotely involved on the offense in terms of routes wise, but I think with uh, we'll just get it out of the way. OJ Howard. I have him as running six routes. (laughs) He had two touchdowns on six routes. So for anyone out there, that means he's probably not going to do it again. Maybe, maybe this means he's going to earn more playing time. I think what's more likely is that, uh, yeah, he, he got two touchdowns on six routes. Let's, let's just keep that in perspective. Uh, Not, not a priority waiver ad in any way. Uh, this is the the second slash third string tight end on the Houston Texans. Until next week when he gives us 12 routes and doubles his touchdowns. That's going to be <laughs> so fun. New England Patriots at Miami Dolphins. We got a Mac Jones back injury here. We'll see about that. We weren't really counting on this passing game anyway. It was Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, the clear top two wide receivers. Hunter Henry still ahead of Jonu Smith in both routes and uh, or, I'm sorry, in routes despite being nearly even in total snaps and Johnny Smith beating him four, three in targets, really it's just kind of a passing game that's spreading things around too much for the level it is to actually be useful for us. And then the backfield wound up being the same thing. I mean, I I say that, you know, I'd say that with a, an air of incredulity, but it's like what we should have expected. I think based on the way they use these running backs in the preseason. Yeah, I don't think we have to spend too much time on New England. You are not going to start anybody on this team in fantasy. Like literally zero players right now you can start. Like you're not starting the quarterback. We're not starting this weird Harris, Stevenson, Montgomery committee. 
and we're not starting any of these receivers. So yeah, I have, I have not much more to add. Like you can check the box score. You can check the, the usage. Like this is as spread out as it can possibly get. Yes. I agree. On the Dolphins side, though, Tyreek Hill, you know, watch Jalen Waddle score the touchdown, but he grabbed 36% of the targets to Jalen Waddle's 15%. I know that followed Waddle being out for a while with an injury, but, you know, you have to at least take away from week one saying, oh, it looks like Tyreek Hill is pretty good no matter where he's going to be and he's going to get the ball quite a bit. Yeah, I'll do the opposite of a victory lap early on. Overreaction season. I was very concerned about Tyreek Hill. I, I was not sure if he was better than Waddle, but all I knew is that he went significantly earlier in drafts than Waddle. But at least through week one, it looks like these changing team receivers like like Hill, like Adams, these guys might be okay. And that maybe when a team at this point in the NFL where teams are a little bit more savvy than they used to be, it's like, you know what? Maybe if they're going out and spending big money on this receiver, they have a plan to use them pretty heavily. Certainly looked like that in week one. I mean, mm-hmm. he was I have his targets per out run at 39% for Tyreek Hill. Anything above like 26, 27% is elite. So this is about as good as it can get. So very, very strong showing for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would love to get a touchdown, but you'll take the numbers that he gave you and love the usage going forward. Tua Tonga Vailoa was fine. Uh, 23 of 33, 270 yards, one touchdown, 42-yard catch and run touchdown, of course, as I mentioned, to Jalen Waddell. So that's basically what we need. As long as he's not terrible, he'll support the wide receivers. And we'll see that that target share probably evens out a bit between Hill and Waddle. But if we get like 28 to 30% for Hill with that six to 8% going to Waddle, that might be ideal because it could make both of them viable at the levels where you drafted them. Yeah. I think the other thing to note in this Miami pass game is that it's really Hill and Waddle and there's nobody else. Cedric Wilson, pretty much half as many routes as those guys. Gesicki, pretty much half as many routes like you can't start Wilson, which I don't think we we thought you could at all. But Kasiki the same way. Like if if Kasiki's going to give you 16 routes and get one target, already he's below like kind of the the 25 routes threshold that you ideally at least want your tight end to get. So if he's significantly below that in a game where they actually drop back to pass 36 times, and he's not getting targets, it's it's all very concerning. I think he's probably droppable, honestly. Yes. Not that you were necessarily starting him, but I know some people out there like to have their tight end stashes, especially like if you're in a tight end premium league, you often have like tight ends on the bench. Gasicki feels like a guy that you could probably just cut bait on where I'm like, hey, if you're running literally half as many routes as Hill and Waddle, I, I'm not ever going to start you. Yeah, and transitioning to the next game, I think that I would be willing to drop Mike Kosicki right now in a tight end premium format to take a shot on Isaiah Likely and see what happens there. Now, I don't want to oversell Isaiah Likely's role and I headed into the season skeptical on him but it was positive usage for him in week one ran as the tight end two for Baltimore in this game Nick Boyle was a healthy scratch they did have Josh Oliver active as the third tight end and Likely was well behind Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman in terms of running routes for this team but so was everybody else and Isaiah Likely was right in line usage wise with uh, Devin Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson for how often he was running pass routes in his first game. So I'm not saying Isaiah likely in your week two tight end premium lineups, but I am saying at this point I can see him being stashable in that kind of format and we'll see where things go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Devin Duvernay, Isaiah likely both ran 18 routes, both had four targets, both had one red zone target. So if you just look at it purely from that perspective, Hey, if you're excited about Duvernay, you should probably be excited about Isaiah likely. I, I more think 
Duvernay should not be on your fantasy roster still. And like you said, tight end premium leagues, Isaiah likely is an interesting stash where, uh, as the, it's, it's like what we were talking about with like Olave London. When you see these rookies actually with a big role early on, usually that role increases as the season goes along. So like he does have the profile of someone where it's like this might be one of his, if not his actual lowest usage game of the season. So I'm with you. Uh, I think a, a really strong stash, particularly in tight end premium. Rashad Bateman, uh, a worrisome week one here, but he was at least the easy leader among wide receivers in playing time. I'd like to see more targets for how often he was in route, but it was just kind of a lackluster day for Lamar Jackson. I'll say against a Jets defense that could wind up being better than it has been. So we don't know the matchups yet. I haven't watched this game specifically. It was not a great passing day for Lamar Jackson overall, basically about as bad a passing day as you can have and still have three touchdowns and, you know, no turnovers to win a game easily. So I'm not panicking on Rashad Bateman, but I'm a little bit concerned that it didn't go better for him in week one. Yeah, I'm similar. So like, yeah, Lamar only had 213 pass yards, but I, I have him at 360 air yards, which uh, I think was the most in the NFL this past week. Don't quote me on that. It's either the most or like the second most. But yeah, Sorry, I like, just made a clip of that and I'd already tweeted it. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, 360 air yards is a little bit concerning. So like a very inefficient, day in terms of him throwing the ball deep to for absolutely no results so we'll, we'll see what next week brings i'm not I, i'm still starting bateman where i have him because mm-hmm. he was the the clear leader in terms of both targets and routes among these receivers but yeah it's it's, it's like it's like a monitor Mm-hmm. And this backfield looked like one that we didn't want to touch until J.K. Dobbins is fully ready to go, at least. And even then, we'll kind of see what Dobbins's role looks like. I'm glad that week one proved that. Yeah, I, I don't really want to start uh, either <laughs> of these guys. Kenyon Drake got more work. I thought Mike Davis would probably get the most work because he'd been with the team a little bit longer. Uh, the, this isn't good. We We did not get the Devonta Freeman role from last year for either of these guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you just kind of hold off in that you confidently start Lamar and Andrews. Uh, most leagues, you'll probably be starting Bateman as well. And I think pretty much everyone else can be left on waivers. It's really just like tight end premium leagues. Sure, you can stash likely, but that's really about it. I think Mike Davis is one of the few guys where it's a bad thing if he's on your roster longer because it gives the team longer to realize he's not actually that good at football. Um, On the Jets side, Elijah Moore easily beat Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson in snaps and routes in this game. 89% route rate by the PFF numbers. Corey Davis was second in that category at 68%, but the targets were spread basically even among Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Braxton Berrios. And really that was my fear heading into the season with this team. Also Michael Carter and Brees Hall right in that mix with targets. My fear is not that Elijah Moore is lacking as a player or even that he couldn't beat out these other two guys. Just like, I don't love this offense. I think things are going to get spread out among all these players. And to that end, that's what we got in week one. Yeah, I was a big Elijah Moore guy and this is not really what I wanted to see. Like, yes, it's great that he was the clear cut wide receiver one, but these are the games he's supposed to deliver. A negative game script with Joe Flacco instead of with Zach Wilson. So uh, definitely a little concerned. I'll still be starting him next week as well, but uh, something to be concerned about. I think in terms of a big positive, the big positive here is Garrett Wilson. All the talk was that Garrett Wilson was going to be very sparingly used. 
His receiving yards prop, I saw it on a couple sports books, was lower than even Traylon Burks. Like I, I think Garrett Wilson, I saw his prop at one point, like 22 and a half receiving yards. It was Vegas was certain this was a highly situational player. So then he goes out, runs 35 routes, eight targets, four for 52. He is someone that you you have to have on your on your team. I think he's a great trade target because people still think like Jets gross. And uh, like we saw Elijah Moore do it last year, these hyper talented rookies, even in the most horror, like the most horrific of situations can end up shining through. So I think he's really like, yes, Corey Davis had the, the most stats on the stat sheet, but I think Garrett Wilson's really the one that you should be going out and acquiring. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I talked to myself through in drafting this year is even though it's not a particularly buzzy summer for Garrett Wilson or Traylon Burks in Tennessee, you know, there's a reason that these guys were drafted where they were. So if they're sliding down the board, you just go ahead and take a shot and see what happens. Another first round pick that was sliding down the board. Actually, before we get to that game, let me just hit real quick the Jets backfield because Michael Carter Mm -hmm. did play 12 more snaps than Brees Hall ran just one more pass route. Hall edged Carter in targets 10 to 9. Carter, the lead in carries 10 to 6. But Carter was more efficient running and receiving. So, like, if you drafted Brees Hall and you're heading into this season saying, I'm drafting Brees Hall for the long haul because I think he's the better player and it's going to emerge, I think this is a negative start for that um, aspect because Michael Carter was the more efficient producer. He doesn't start out the season looking like a guy that's ready to seed work to the rookie. Yeah, there's, yeah, Carter Carter looks pretty good. I think if you have Brees Hall, what you're looking at is that he had 10 targets as a rookie in week one, which is very exciting. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about Brees Hall yet, where there's a potential that maybe both these guys are actually startable each week. I, I would look at it more as like Michael Carter looks firmly entrenched with his role. So like I, I think it's a fine week one for Hall. It's his first game ever. But I think on the, on the flip side, it's like if you were a zero RB drafter with Michael Carter – this looks like a really good pick right now. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I would say the only downside to Brees Hall is that you probably took him in round four, maybe round five. So that's kind of the borderline of where you can afford to put him on the bench, just depending on what else you drafted. So, you know, certainly still upside to him, but um, depends on the team, I guess. Tyler Conklin, a nice week for usage. You can check Shark Bites on DraftSharks.com. We'll get more into that because Tyler Conklin's probably not squarely in play for most teams, but... He might get there based on just how far ahead of CJ Uzama he was. Let's jump to the Jacksonville Washington game. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, even in route rate, close in targets. Evan Ingram, not far behind those guys. 78% route rate for him, 91% for Kirk and Zay Jones as the team leaders. Of course, you know, exact numbers there depend on exactly whose numbers you're looking at. The most concerning guy in this Jaguars offense was Travis Etienne, who played two more snaps than James Robinson, but trailed him in the run game. Only got four targets in the passing game. Watched James Robinson score the receiving touchdown. I know ETN got overthrown in the end zone, but I mean, overall, it's just like, this is the guy that I drafted in round three. Yeah, I I took a good amount of ETN. And I'm definitely a little bit worried because what is going on with James Robinson and this bionic Achilles of his? (laughs) Seems like every other Achilles injury, the guy comes back, they don't look like themselves or they just never come back. So, of course, Robinson comes back and fields 11 carries very competently. Uh, like he, I, ETN ran a few more routes, but Robinson's route rate was still almost the same as ETN. So I'm kind of curious what what's going on there. I want to see another week before mm-hmm. I panic at all with ETN fully. 
since like, yes, he was on the field quite a bit. And yes, like he, he did get like, he had four targets. That's, that's fine. But so that's definitely something that's concerning to me. Before I thought we... ETN was going to kind of like, I honestly thought ETN would be the one who would have the 11 carries mm-hmm. and the four targets. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think it would be, Oh, he's got the targets, but he's only getting you four carries. Yeah. So before you have rankings and projections done for week two, just who do you think that you would be starting if you have ETN, Miles Sanders, CEH, um, let's say either one or two spots? I would definitely start CEH. I think the usage there was really strong. Chiefs offense looks great. I would still go ETN over Sanders. Interesting. Just because at least there's only James Robinson there. Mm-hmm. And ETN, like, I mean, he was explosive. Mm-hmm. Four carries, 47 yards. Like, there. Mm-hmm. There were there was some stuff to like there. So I think I'd still lean him over Sanders just because I think there's more paths to ETN's role growing based on how often he was on the field out on the field compared to Sanders. There's really probably not going to be the targets. So you have to have that high efficiency or high rush volume. So I think there's fewer things that need to go right for ETN, but it's closer than I think it should be. If that makes sense. Like I and it bothers me a lot that we get to the season after a summer that, you know, included Travis Etienne finally being healthy and generating buzz and James Robinson coming off an Achilles. So if we get to week one and the usage is already favoring James Robinson, that makes me wary. I like, I'm not panicking on Travis Etienne, but I'm wary right now where I think I would be playing Miles Sanders in week two. That's very, yeah, that one I'm less confident. I think the, the confident mm-hmm. one is CEH looks, mm-hmm. looks really good. Yeah, and we'll get to that game in a minute. On the commander's side, Curtis Samuel's role looks much closer to Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson than the preseason seemed to indicate. He led week one in targets among commanders. Antonio Gibson second at eight targets, seven catches for 72 yards, four touchdown passes from Carson Wentz, really saved fantasy days for both McLaurin and Dotson. I would say overall, Josh, to me, the overall usage is most alarming for McLaurin because for where we were drafting him, he really needs to be this team's at least, if not clear number one, then lead target, you know, with some gap between him and Dotson and everybody else. And it it doesn't look like after one week, granted one week, it doesn't look like we're quite going to get that this year. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably sell McLaurin because he had the touchdown. I He was not a player I was particularly interested in to begin the season. And then this was just like, oh my God, you're telling me that he's going to be running the same amount of routes as Dotson and Samuel in which doesn't project to be a great offense. I mean, he barely got there because of the touchdown in a game where Wentz had over 300 passing yards and four touchdowns. Unless you think this is this type of trend is going to continue, then you really need him to be outplaying Dotson and Samuel, which he didn't do in week one. Gibson was taking a lot of targets as well. It's just it's going to be a really, really thin, narrow path for McLaurin to get there week to week. And he's someone that I'm pretty comfortable cutting bait on. And it's like, Hey, like, let's just sell him. Yes. You're probably selling a little low because not like most people will look and be like, Oh, that wasn't great usage either. But I think he's someone where like, we might not want to start him three weeks from now. Mm -hmm. So definitely someone I would try and get rid of based on that touchdown. And Logan Thomas was also involved too. We didn't know if he was going to play, but he did play saw six targets. So there's, a crowd. I, I I agree. I would be looking to move McLaurin off of that touchdown. Kansas City Chiefs at Arizona Cardinals. You just mentioned the CEH usage. So what exactly was so strong about it for you? What makes you confident in using Clyde Edwards Elaire in week two? So what I liked about Clyde Edwards Elaire is that he was getting some carries. 
and he was getting targets and the targets were in the red zone. So like, he had he had two touchdowns. He had two red zone targets. That's what you love to see. If they are willing to actually game plan Clyde Edwards Alaire getting passes near the red zone. I mean, that, that's just amazing because those are generally higher percentage than a carry. Like if you're seven, eight yards from the end zone, you want your running back getting targeted, not getting a carry. Much less likely to convert that eight-yard carry for the touchdown compared to a target. So I, I thought it was just really, really nice to see that. I, yes, you could box score watch and be like, oh, like Isaiah Pacheco had way more carries. But I mean, if you look at the score, it makes sense. This is a game that I watched pretty much in its entirety. Clay edwards was the guy. And then as the game got out of hand, he became less of the guy because he is the guy and they wanted to preserve him for next week. So I think he's, he's probably going to be flirting with my top 15 running backs for this next week, where if you're getting someone that's going to get 60% of the usage in one of the best offenses in football at running back with some pass game work, that that has all the makings of uh, a running back that you're starting every week confidently in fantasy. Yeah, uh, you can look at the end. Like you said, Pacheco has 12 carries, but a lot of that came in the second half. 10 of his 12 came in the second half when they were salting the game away. They already had it well in hand. Um, as you mentioned, CEH led in carries in the first half had three targets. That was matched by Jarek McKinnon. So I would like there to be less Jarek McKinnon, but you know we knew heading into the season that it wasn't going to be a workhorse kind of thing. So I think it's positive for CEH and I feel good about him going forward, certainly because of the offense primarily. I mean, you know, if he was getting this usage elsewhere, it'd be like, okay, maybe he's going to be useful. But with the Chiefs, obviously it helps those scoring opportunities. Patrick Mahomes was, of course, Patrick Mahomes yesterday. MVS had a quiet stat day, but he he played five more snaps, ran one more route than Juju Smith-Schuster. And really, that's kind of what I'm looking for at this point because it wasn't, I think MVS is better than Juju. It was I think these guys will probably end up being pretty close in how often they're on the field and they're going five, six rounds apart in drafts. So from that standpoint, I like what MVS gave me in week one, even if I uh, stupidly played him over. I don't even remember. I already blocked out of my head who I played him over and didn't get much (laughs) PPR scoring from. But, you know, I have to talk that up as, hey, you were right. The process was right. It's just the results that were wrong. Yeah, I'm in one deep league. I had MVS starting for me as well. I'll take the, the eight fantasy points. So <laughs> could, could have been worse. But uh, yeah, I think the the main thing though is we were trying to figure out what this wide receiver rotation would look like and that it's pretty clearly Juju, MVS, Hardman, the kind of still in the sort of gadgety role where like he might be on the field a lot, but he's not getting real touches. And then Skymore barely played. So I think uh, Skymore is probably going to play more as the season goes on instead of running. He only ran seven routes. And I think that like is going to crush Hardman and we'll see if that affects Juju and MVS or if it just kind of becomes, here's our three wide receiver sets. Since I think it's sooner rather than later that Sky Moore is playing over Michael Hardman, who's just someone that they've never seemed very interested in. And yeah, it just is pretty much allergic to fantasy points and real life NFL contributions at this point. It is at least worth noting that, Sky Moore is tied with Justin Watson fourth right now. And then even when he, even if, or when he leapfrogs Nicole Hardman, we're talking about an offense that had Noah Gray and Joe Fortson playing quite a bit. Now, you know, the blowout nature might've thrown everybody's snap counts Mm -hmm. off yesterday. So we'll see beyond week one, but it it is going to be a crowded offense beyond those top level guys. So Sky Moore, I still love long-term. I'm still skeptical of him 
being a lineup option for us this year, barring an injury to somebody and some, some further depth chart climbing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on the Cardinal side, we had Greg Dortch match Marquise Brown in routes led the team in targets. I don't think there's a whole lot for us to take away from that going forward. I mean, maybe I guess you can look at it and say that's good for Rondell Moore whenever he makes it back. That's what I was about to say is that this is, if anything, it shows that they want this to be an actual high volume role, which is good for Rondell Moore. I, I think this is just like fake sharp cliff Kingsbury being cliff Kingsbury. This is what happens if you center a game plan too much around somebody like Greg Dorch, when you play the chiefs, you are going to be trailing early and often. So I wouldn't take too much away from it. Hollywood Brown is pretty much who I think we hoped he would be in terms of pretty much every down player. Uh, like not the greatest fantasy day, not the most targets, but this was just a, a bad day for the offense overall. And I think it kind of makes sense. Like they don't have DeAndre Hopkins yet. You also just lost Rondale Moore. There really just wasn't much there for Kyler to to throw to. Uh, makes it tough on Hollywood Brown. So I'm not too worried. Hopefully Rondale comes back this next week. But yeah, I think it's just like, hey, like you start Hollywood each week. You probably start Zach Ertz each week. And that's about it. Like I, I will not be picking up Greg Dorch off waivers, even if Rondale misses another game. Yeah, I do like Greg Dorch, but I, I don't think that he's going to turn into a fantasy factor. James Conner did dominate backfield work. Of course, the game script hurt his carry total, but um, like the role, especially from where I've been talking him up all offseason. Raiders at Chargers, Devontae Adams, you talked about the you know number one wideouts moving teams and continuing to be number one wideouts. Obviously, it all worked in week one for Devontae Adams. We'll see beyond this, but no reason to assume that it's going to be drastically different. Target count, like with A.J. Brown, probably comes down from the extreme height that it was, but clearly he's just going to go on being Devontae Adams. Yeah, this looks like the Green Bay Packers stat line. 17 targets, 10 catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. He had three targets in the end zone. This this was just, this is what you wanted to see from him. And it it was kind of why I, I didn't fade Adams when he switched teams was because I did think the Raiders would have to pass a lot in this division, and they just historically have passed more than the the Packers have. So I think the efficiency probably comes down in some way. I mean, it wasn't like necessarily the most efficient day to begin with, but I think some of some of the efficiency stuff could regress a little bit. But I, I do think it's nice to see like this is a high volume pass attack, and he's the clear wide receiver one in this offense. Are you worried at all about Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller relative to where they were in your mind heading into the season? Uh, this is kind of what I expected from Renfro, at least. Renfro was someone I was struggling to see how the third option in this offense mm-hmm. would be getting there. So I, I think Renfro, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Waller, I loved that he was always out on the field. Did not love that. At the end of the day, he had a 17% target share. So I want that to go up. I think it's unsustainable for Adams to have like literally like 50% of the team's targets. So hopefully that portends better things for, for Waller. I would have liked him to separate a little more in the target department from Renfro, but it seems to me like Adams is going to be startable every week. I still think Waller is going to be just fine, but mm-hmm. I, I think Renfro is kind of what I expected where this likely third option who's significantly smaller, significantly less athletic, will struggle week to week. 
Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at as well. And I we saw Mac Hollins, interestingly, was right with Renfro in usage, which I, I wouldn't have guessed he'd be quite that high. So um, not sure that that's going to be fantasy useful, but at least shows you who's on the field. Um, for how much Josh Jacobs love the playing time, love the rushing usage, love that he led the backfield and routes um, didn't show up in targets. Just got one of those. There's room for that to correct going forward. So I would say overall, I'm pleased with how much Josh Jacobs got based on what could have happened heading into the season, given all the kind of negative buzz around him. Yeah. I thought, I thought this was a good game for him. And then I think on the, the chargers end, uh, like Eckler should be fine. The, the usage was there for the most part. The, the the thing for me is I would just say, like, do not take anything away from this Chargers pass attack in terms of the actual stats. Just look at who ran the routes. Like DeAndre Carter ran about like, like nearly 20 fewer routes than Mike Williams. I am not super concerned with this situation. Also, like Keenan Allen came out of this game early and got hurt. I, I think we just need to see another week or two of this, but yeah. I, like I know some people were taking a lot of stuff away from it. I think the, the big takeaway would be Justin Herbert is really good at football and this should be a great pass offense. And I think it was just a little bit fluky that we had like this DeAndre Carter blow up game. And they're going to be, they're going to be more touchdowns by chargers fullbacks than any of us want. That's just going to remain a thing. No matter who the guy is, Xander Horvath or whoever the dude was last year, whose name I blocked out. Um, Uh, there's still, you already see some, what happened to Mike Williams? Like he's Mike Williams. That's what happened to Mike Williams. He's, he's going to have games like this, no matter how much they re-signed him for. So you, you have to just deal with the inconsistency to get to those big games with Mike Williams. Yeah. You're, you're starting him again next week. This is just kind of the Mike Williams experience. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be a lot of overall fantasy points. We just don't know when they're going to happen. Yeah. Better in best ball. Uh, we'll go to the Packers and Minnesota game. Actually, it's not really fair to call it that. We'll go to the Vikings game that also had some Packers on hand to watch. Um, I think the takeaway for me on the Packers side is there is no number one wideout anymore. And, you know, to be fair, I guess we'll see what Alan Lazard has to say about that once he's healthy. But I think that this offense is going to have to rely pretty heavily on those running backs. Yeah, the, the only guys that you want to start right now are Dylan and Jones. This, this is exactly what I was afraid of when why, why I didn't draft Rodgers or really any of these receivers in fantasy is it just looked like the kind of situation I didn't want to dip my toes in where I didn't know who it was going to be. And I also figured even if it is somebody, probably not going to have that high of a ceiling any of these weeks. I think we could even roll in a little bit of like Cowboys analysis into this. It's like at the end of the day, like, yes, even even very good quarterbacks need contributions from their receivers. And with this truly decimated receiving core in green Bay. I, I don't think we should expect too much more than this. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's why I didn't like Aaron Rodgers heading in and why Packers pass catchers were no more than, than late round guys on the Viking side, pretty straightforward in a good way. Justin Jefferson is just a God at this point. You obviously knew you were starting him and it couldn't have opened any better. KJ Osborne, the clear number three, not too far behind the top two. We also got a very limited Irv Smith in week one, though. So it, I'll have to watch and see whether that's what Irv Smith is going to be or whether it's because he was not that far removed from returning from the thumb surgery that kept him out for most of August. Yeah, I think Irv Smith, you keep him on your bench, wait and see mode, most likely. Osborne, probably keep him on your bench. Just I, He's kind of like a Bo- Tyler Boyd, like the handcuff type receiver. Uh, I think you go back to the well on Thielen and Jefferson looks like the potential wide receiver one overall this year. So I I had Jefferson over cup 
to start the season. And then Cup had his big Thursday game. And then everyone was like, see, this is why Cup is the wide receiver one, you idiots. And then Jefferson had his game. And I was like, all right, I save face for at least one week. Because the Cup game made me nervous. Because even on like an awful game by Stafford, Cup got there. So this this is what the, the Jefferson drafters like myself needed to see. Because I think the two of them look, and maybe it's the big three with Chase as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. It's honestly like actually all five round one receivers just yeah. crushed this week. I mean, like Diggs, Adams. What am I talking about? I guess it's like we have a big five at this point. Yeah. I, so that's the thing is I, I think we the fantasy community is is like politics at this point in that to like Justin Jefferson, you have to hate Cooper Cup. It's like, no, I just I think this guy is going to outscore this guy. So I'm going to take him first this time. Doesn't mean I hate Cooper Cup. Doesn't mean that I think you're an idiot if you took Cooper Cup. They're both going to be very good. I think that Justin Jefferson is still ascending. So that's the one I'm going to take. I had an FFPC main event draft mm-hmm. Friday, the day after that Thursday night game. And I strongly considered taking Stefan Diggs instead of Justin Jefferson at the spot where I was picking. I think it was fifth overall, maybe it was sixth. I didn't. I took Jefferson. So when he had that game yesterday, I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, yeah. To your point, I had Jefferson as my third ranked player, Cup as my fourth, and Diggs as my seventh. You are allowed to be above consensus on all of them. That is acceptable. <laughs> And even if you're below consensus on Cooper Cup, like that means you have him one spot below where the consensus does. It doesn't mean that you think he's a bum. All right. So Giants at Titans up next. And the late comeback in this game by the Giants overshadowed that the offense was absolutely terrible outside of Saquon Barkley. They had a 65-yard touchdown to Sterling Sharp where the cornerback just disappeared on the play. And then otherwise it was bad stuff. They should have won the game earlier because Daniel Jones followed a muffed punt with an end zone interception. Clearly the team doesn't trust Kadarius Tony, which makes me feel stronger about my position of entering the season, not trusting Kadarius Tony. I think overall it's Saquon Barkley. And then we'll see if anybody else makes themselves viable. Yeah. That's the only person you can start. I wouldn't drop Tony, but I'd be very concerned. He's someone I drafted a lot of. I think I started him in only one league, fortunately, but yeah, I had a lot of Tony burgers on, on my benches. Did not want to see that. I, I liked that he flashed the target earning potential, the yards after catch potential last year. Apparently the Giants decided that like six other guys should play ahead of him. <laughs> so that I, I think what, what you do is like you give him another week. It's kind of like Iuke where last year, like the usage, like each game got progressively better. But if we see another game like this out of Tony, that I think you just drop him at that point. Like I think one game is concerning, two games is some type of trend of like, wow, if you're not starting him for an entire half month. Then like, what, what are we doing if the Giants hate him that much? Yeah, for sure. If they're playing Richie James and David Sills over him, then yeah. And Kenny Galladay, for that matter, who apparently played a lot, but I couldn't tell by watching the game. On the Titans side, Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Akine led the wide receivers in playing time, but it was Kyle Phillips, Traylon Burks, Jeff Swaim, the top three in targets. Dontrell Hilliard was up there. I am interested in Kyle Phillips. I think he's going to have a tough time giving us startability week to week, but he's interesting as like a long-term Hunter Renfro type of guy and Traylon Burks. I'm encouraged that even though we went through August without him ever taking over a starting role, and even yesterday, he wasn't, you know, a starter in terms of playing time. He was mixed in on the first drive. He got an end zone. Look, he got a deep target. I think it was an encouraging opener for Traylon Burks. Yeah. I think he's the, really the guy to stash here. I think woods is probably droppable just with what we saw in this kind of rotation. It's our, we already knew it was going to be a stinky pass offense. 
And this, this was highly concerning. Yes. I think you could stash Phillips, but I think if I had to choose, I would have Burks on my bench and probably just not even worry about these other guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. I absolutely agree with Traylon Burks over Kyle Phillips. I started Robert Woods over Kareem Hunt in one lineup yesterday, though. I think that Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes is at least going to save me from having to live that one down uh, for the week going forward. Uh, in the backfield, we had the two touchdowns from Dontrell Hilliard, but it was kind of a, it wasn't OJ Howard. He was more involved than that. He'll be involved going forward, but it's not like I'm going to be able to use him going forward. Yeah, I think this was a fun late round best ball pick that I made in a couple drafts. Mm -hmm. Still, I'm not really picking him up from waivers. Henry had twice as many routes as he did. Henry had over 10 times as many rush attempts as he did. Hilliard uh, is like the poorest man's Naheem Hines is kind of how I would see it, who stumbled into the end zone a couple times. So, yeah. I, th- I think he's someone that you can just leave on waivers. Thrift shop, Tony Pollard. Ta- Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dallas Cowboys close it out for us. And on the Cowboys side, anything that we might have taken away from this game got wiped out because Dak da- da- Prescott, it's so bad that I can't even say his name anymore. Dak Prescott <laughs> is having thumb surgery, might miss six to eight weeks. Cooper Rush is in there for now until they get a real quarterback. Last year, not last year, two years ago, Dak went down. And in six of the next seven games, we saw the Cowboys score less than 20 points. So we should not assume a whole lot from here. You're kind of stuck using CeeDee Lamb in most cases, depending on, you know, just how many other options you have. Dalton Schultz might be okay. Running backs might be okay just in terms of usage, but the offense is obviously heading way down in efficiency. So it's it's bad news for every single Cowboy. Yeah, it's it's really horrible news. I think the, the one perplexing one would be CeeDee Lamb who had 11 targets and converted that into two catches for 29 yards. So like, I, I'm not a tape grinder. It's like, I haven't watched his per route all 22, but I'd be curious if he was actually separating or not. I assume it was kind of a mix of both of like Dak, not being on the same page with him and lamb separation, probably not being great. But uh, yeah, I think like you're starting him and Schultz. I honestly would look to other running back options for the next few weeks, just because part of what you liked about Zeke and Pollard was that you expected a lot of touchdowns out of them mm-hmm. and that you kind of knew like there was going to be like kind of an ugly timeshare, but like in this ultra high volume elite offense, it's okay. And now mm-hmm. that's probably not a high volume and not an elite offense. I think like those are two guys to actually consider benching and that it's just like Schultz because he plays tight end and then lamb because there's nobody else at receiver. Mm-hmm. On the Bucks side, we had Chris Godwin with a hamstring injury, so he came in with questions about the knee. That was okay, but hurt his hamstring early, so we'll see about the severity. Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Cameron Brait, Leonard Fournette were the top four in routes in a game that they weren't really awesome on offense, but they were okay. Russell Gage, not far behind, so he was coming off kind of an injury-laden August. Six fewer snaps, four fewer routes than Julio, so I think he'll wind up being close to Julio, and we'll see how things develop and Godwin's... Um, involvement. Rashad Perriman was even with with Russell Gage in snaps behind in routes. I think Rashad Perriman's had long enough to show us that he's just not that good. And once Russell Gage is, you know, like has the rust knocked off and all that, uh, he'll leave Perriman behind in usage. Yeah. I kind of think at this point you want Evans, Julio Gage on your fantasy teams. Obviously like you want Godwin too. So I, I think that's what it is. Like you're confidently starting Evans, Julio and Gage, I probably just want to keep them on my bench for now. But I think just with this Bucks offense, we know that so many of these guys can go off any given week. And I, I think like the, the Dallas defense might still be okay. Like it was the, it was the 
it was the Buccaneers' first game with this decimated offensive line. Dallas has some very strong like pass rushing options, like Micah Parsons. They've got some decent uh, like players in the secondary. I think Tom Brady's going to have some bounce back performances, most likely. And I think like the, the like he still like was decently efficient, like pretty much eight yards per attempt despite like constantly being hit and having no time to throw. So I'm, I'm not really all that worried about like, I'm, I'm freaking out about the Cowboys side, the <laughs> Buccaneers side. I really am pretty neutral. I think mm-hmm. if anything, you could just say like, wow, like Leonard Fournette is still an absolute beast. Yeah. And we knew that he was likely to control that backfield. So that's good. It's also good that it looks like Rashad White is the clear number two guy. He was the only other guy that got work in that backfield. So it looks like if you did draft Rashad White as the handcuff, then you made the right call. Yeah, I, th- I think Rashad White has to be on your, your fantasy bench. Mm-hmm. We just saw like like Leonard Fournette, just crazy workload. You want whoever, whatever running backs, the, the bell cow with Tom Brady. And Rashad White is the, the, the most obvious next in line guy. He's like 215 pounds. He can handle that type of workload. And I think like he's one of like the, the five or six best bench stashes that you can really have because of his upside. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to do it for this first uh, weekly recap show. I want to thank you again, Josh, for taking time out. I know it's a busy day for you and joining me to run all of this down. Um, tell folks real quick what they should look for from you and the 33rd team. So you can find all my work on the 33rd team.com. All of our, content is entirely free for the entire 2022 nfl season and you'll be able to get my rankings coming out sometime tomorrow i'll be doing a waiver wire stream tomorrow afternoon as well with the great ryan reynolds not of deadpool and we'll just have other shows throughout the week so uh stay tuned follow me on twitter at jlarky tweets check out the 33rdteam.com so matt this was this was good i know we went a little long but you know what? It's week one. There was a lot of stuff to, to break down, a lot of trends to try and get on top of. So I think we did what we had to do. Absolutely. Get in there, do the work. And I appreciate you coming on. Definitely check out all of Josh's work because I've been a fan since before you joined 3013. That's why I had you back on the podcast. I knew that you'd bring the goods for all these games. And that's why I certainly don't mind running a little long to hit all of it. So Our stuff is, of course, available. We will have our rankings up for week two as well on Tuesday and all the other content that you've come to count on week to week. If you haven't done so already, become a DS Insider so you can access all of it throughout the rest of the regular season. For my guest, Josh Larkey, for the entire Draft Sharks team, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.